Praise the Lord. Good to see all, any, everybody who's joining us online. Uh, glad to have you here uh, with us tonight. Praise the Lord. I have a few announcements just uh, I want to remind you of. Praise the Lord. Y'all could just help me out just a little bit. We have a bunch of people over here, a bunch of people over here. If anybody would just be willing to move to the center uh, with these right here, that would be awesome. And uh, help us out. Glory to God. And so I just want to remind you some things coming up. You can go to the app, but to uh, um, really remind you of uh, some things. There's uh, small groups that are uh, meeting together. And so really, you know, as we come together as, as a church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, uh, but twice on Sunday morning, many times we're crossing and crossing, you know, we're, we're crossing paths. And sometimes, you know, I've, I've noticed this over the years, uh, people who have gone to church for a uh, long time together, years and years and years, they, they meet each other and they say, you know, they start talking, start uh, uh, just communicating their Christian life and say, oh, you're a Christian. Where do you go to church? Well, I go to New Creation Church. You do? I go to New Creation Church. They didn't even know that. Um, because they go to different services. And so small groups are a way that we, sometimes we just cross over and uh, get involved in that. So uh, you can get into a time or a place, meet new people, have fellowship together, uh, really join, you know, the purpose of it is as we grow. You know, if we were in just one place, there was, you know, uh, 30 of us in one place at one time, we'd get to know each other pretty well. That's how it was when we started out, get to know each other pretty well, but then we grow. We don't want to stay that that size simply because it's so much fun. We know everybody. There's benefits to that. There's detriments to that. But the biggest detriment to just having 30 or 40 people and say, this is awesome. Let's just hang out together. Let's love God together. Let's worship God together. Let's just be close is because there's thousands of people out there that don't know Jesus. Right. And so as we, we expand, we go out, we're reaching more people for Jesus, but then it's harder to interact. So we have different things that we do uh, and endeavor to draw us together. So small groups is one of that here at New Creation Church. We want to be able to connect together. And so as we do that, you know, uh, we have some there. We're working on uh, getting some more firm times as we, we develop them so you can uh, see at different sessions what's going on. But uh, one of the uh, things there, you know, many times people will come, they're new, and they say, do you have anything in the midweek, right, where we can fellowship? Because here we are on Sunday, but we'd like something, you know, a little shot in the arm, as you will, or, or, or get together and, and just fellowship with people around the Word, and so there's a hunger for that, and so small groups are part of that, and you say, well, you know, I come to church, I've been a part for a long time, I know everybody. Well, no, you don't, and if you do, it's a great time for you to get into a smaller setting and have a great influence uh, and have somebody that you can pray for, that you know their needs, and, and extend yourself a little farther. So they're, they're an important part of our our growth, our fellowship together and what we're doing. So I'm just going to let you know if you go on the, to the app, see what you, what you want. As I said this morning in one service, you know, if you look at the Gospels, I believe somewhere around 70%, maybe even higher, uh, uh, of the people that we see were healed, right? Jesus said, your faith made you whole. Your faith made you whole. And so when it comes to healing in the physical body, it seems like faith is a, a very important dynamic, Right? Not kind of a hope so, think so, maybe so, but a faith in God's word. F.F. Bosworth said this faith begins where the will of God is known. And when it comes to healing, many times people don't know the will of God. They're, they're saying, Well, God, if it be your will, heal me, and if not, okay. But you don't really mean that, otherwise, you wouldn't go to the doctor. Right? You don't like being sick, so you're like, God, if it be your will, heal me. If not, I'll go to the doctor. <laughs> because we just know we don't want to be sick. 
right? So if you don't know, if it be thy will, but we know from the word. Isaiah said he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. Right? First uh, uh, Peter two twenty four says he bore our sin in his body on the tree. Right? And then it goes ahead and, and just reiterates what um, Isaiah said, and Peter said, by his stripes we were healed, or, or at that time that he did that, we were healed. Uh, Matthew eight seventeen, as Jesus went around casting out devils, healing the sick, it says that just as it was written, he took our infirmities and he bore our sicknesses. And so there's much more than that, but we could just look at those and go, well, this is God's will for us to be healed. You begin to look at it and you find out that Jesus healed on the Sabbath day over and over and over again. Praise the Lord. On the Sabbath day. Well, they weren't supposed to do stuff on the Sabbath day like that. Why? Because people saw physical healing as simply a work of the doctor. So doctors couldn't work on Sunday. So they would get mad at Jesus for always healing on the Sabbath. Well, Jesus wasn't out there just to break the law. What was he doing? He was endeavoring to prove to people that healing is holy. Healing of the physical body is holy to the Lord. So healing on the Sabbath, as Jesus did it, wasn't breaking the law. It was fulfilling what God fully intended, right? So we just throw those things out there. So if you, you know, have need of or, or have had need of healing, it'd be great to go to the small group faith for healing. Just learn what, what the Bible says. Then we always live in a, a, a realm, you know, where finances uh, are an issue for us. As we, you know, hear the news, inflation's going up and down, things are going all over. And so, you know, Wayne's having a, a small group just a Friday night, Saturday, I think, maybe even just a Saturday, where he's just going to talk about some things, how to enter into God's abundant blessing. Then we we have the suppers for six where we just get together and, and break bread together, right? Just have community together. Learn about one another. Amen. We learn stuff about uh, people in suppers for six, people that we uh, have been coming for a long, long time. We've done stuff with. We've, we've just gone out and spent weekends with and just found out, you know, uh, things about them we didn't know just at dinner. Things we thought we might have known, but somebody says, hey, tell us where you grew up. They sat and said, oh, well, we grew up just down the road. You know, you just find out things about people uh, in that. And so it helps us link together. And we have men and women's small groups. Uh, on Tuesday morning, there's a men's small group at, uh, going through the book or the curriculum X by John Bevere, full, full, fulfilling your highest potential. So uh, it'll just be great to get involved in a small group, get to know some people, participate in that. And then we have some things coming up. Jesse Duplantis will be with us Wednesday night, May the 17th. And then Joe Morris will be here Sunday morning and Sunday night, the 21st. You don't want to miss that. You never know exactly where Brother Joe's going to go, but it's always going to be good. He could talk about <coughs> end times. He could just talk about scriptural things. He could get off in a healing flow. Angels could show up. When Brother Joe's here, you just never know exactly what's going on. So you want to bring people. You don't want to miss that. I remember in one of Brother Joe's meetings, uh, he's just talking. We're having a great meeting, and you know how he is. I mean, he just walks with God, and, uh, you know, where we were just, whoo, he's just like, praise the Lord, drive safe. Glad God healed you. He's just so mellow. But we were, just, this is clear back in the other building, and he calls out uh, somebody who has back problems. They got rods in their back, and he brings them up there, and they start bending over and touching their toes, totally healed of rod, rods in their back. 
And so, you know, he just has a different way of presenting it, but powerful, powerful time uh, together. And so you want to be a part of that. And then uh, just kind of got going in the announcements today. The Shekinah Glory would be here in June, but they're not going to be here in June. They're going to be here August the 9th, August the 9th. And uh, then Hankins are going to be with us August the 27th. And uh, in July, men's conference, 14th and 15th, it'll be uh, Stantall Men's Conference. And uh, the theme of our conference is going to be pure power, pure power. Praise the Lord. So you don't want to miss that. And on that Sunday, then Addison Bevere will be ministering with us. Just keep your eyes open. Uh, Addison's new book is released tomorrow, and it's on prayer. And so you don't want to miss that. That's going to be great. And praise the Lord. I don't think I have any other announcements to make. So if you weren't here this morning, weren't prepared with your local church tithes and offerings, I want to give you an opportunity to give. If you're making out a check, make it out to New Creation Church. If you can buy cash or debit or credit card, raise your hand. The ushers will give you an envelope. If you're giving by text, the number is right there. If you're online, you want to participate online, you can either give by the text number there or you can go online to the Give tab and uh, find out uh, what area you want to give to. We're so thankful always uh, for your giving and uh, the areas that it goes to. It ministers uh, in the extended table, in the jail, uh, different places all around, youth, ministry, children. Uh, as Pastor Tasha said, 24 people made a decision for the Lord on Easter. Amen. And so uh, many children made a decision for Jesus. And so praise the Lord. We're so thankful for our children's church workers. They're doing uh, um, a you know, tonight, that curriculum. But uh, they had 130 kids on Easter. Praise the Lord. Aren't you thankful for children's workers? <laughs> praise the Lord. You need to pray. You might be a children's worker. I know you're like going, thank God for them. I'm glad I'm not. But uh, maybe you are. And uh, so, so often we're like, man, I have a call of God. Can't wait to minister to thousands. But, uh, you know, by the time you get there to ministering to thousands, those children will be the adults that you need to minister to. So I wouldn't reject them now because they'll be the crowd you'll minister to here in just a few years. So you might as well just get started with them. Amen. Just get started with them. Instead of waiting for them to grow up so you can minister to them, just start right now. So that's just for somebody. I don't know who that was, but uh, just go ahead. Don't be afraid of them. Praise the Lord. You're anointed to go where angels fear to tread. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So we're thankful. You're, you're giving. <laughs> you're giving. Uh, just uh, really allows us to minister in so many different areas. Sometimes, uh, you know, you don't know exactly all that's going on, but things are going on and even into all of the world. Amen. So we're appreciative of that. Thankful for that. Believing with you that God continues to prosper you. Every need is met. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for every opportunity that we have to give, to enter into divine covenant relationship with you, declaring by our giving that everything that we have belongs to you. And in acknowledging that, walking in that covenant, we open up the avenue and the realization that everything that you have belongs to us. Windows of heaven opened up over us, living in that blessing of God. The devourer being rebuked on our behalf, that truly we might walk in the true blessing of God. We thank you for that. We declare that blessing over each and every one, that you supply every need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. You can go ahead and pass those buckets. Open your Bibles with me to Ephesians, the first chapter. Ephesians, the first chapter. And uh, we're just going to begin um, here on Sunday night. 
Uh, you know, we'll weave in and out. Who knows what God will do at different times. We may have different testimonies come forth. You know, just this morning, somebody was telling me about a testimony, just how God's healed them uh, in the realm of mental health, and uh, they have a great testimony. So we're, we'll find places uh, for those testimonies because you'll need to hear them because if God did it for them, he'll do it for you. And not only that, if he did it for them, he'll do it for somebody else. And so sometimes when you hear about that, you know, you're like, I'm okay in that area. But so many times, I know, in ministering to people so many times, uh, you can hear what God has done and all of a sudden run into somebody who's had a similar instance, right? And it's different than you having that testimony, but it's still what Jesus has done that you can say, you know what, I know what Jesus did for so-and-so. And so uh, I hear you have the same thing. I know he'll do it for you. So it's sometimes good just to hear everything that he's doing. So we may weave it in. It may take us just a little bit longer uh, to get through some things uh, in this, but we have time. And you know, if Jesus comes back and we're still in the book of Ephesians, he may not be upset uh, if we're studying his word. Amen. So uh, um, we'll just take a little bit of time with it and, and begin to look at it. Before we get into really here in, in chapter 1 and verse 1, just to give you just to give you a little background, and you can look at it if you want, how this church at Ephesus started. Acts, the 19th chapter, really lines out to us some things about how this church at Ephesus started. Uh, Paul, in his journeying around, came upon people in Ephesus, and he started talking about Jesus. And uh, he said, Do y'all, have you all heard about the Holy Spirit? And there in Ephesus, they said, we haven't even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. And he said, well, then what baptism were you baptized with? And they said, well, the baptism of John. And so Paul began to share the word of God with him, and they got saved in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, then got baptized in the Holy Ghost, began to speak with tongues and prophesy. Right, and so that just kicked off. There were uh, uh, Ephesus was really a pagan place, uh, uh, really developed by the Greeks, and and then taken over by the Romans, and and just pagan culture, Greek mythology, uh, Greek gods really had been their history, and still was at that point in time. And so there was a lot going on there. They weren't, uh, you know, Americans. They hadn't been brought up in in a culture uh, that had declared that they would serve the God of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had all kinds of things going on. And so when this began, when this kicked off, and these. Uh, uh, people began to pray in tongues, well, things started to break out. And so Paul being there, unusual miracles started to happen. Unusual things started to happen to where even they, uh, Paul would be around and people would get healed. And so they would start to, to run in and take handkerchiefs and aprons that, from his workplace and that were on his body. And they would take them to those who were demon-possessed and sick. And they found out somehow the anointing that was on Paul got trapped in those claws. And when they brought them to the sick and demon-possessed, spirits left them and their bodies were healed. Great miracles started to happen. And so things broke out, and people really wanted a move of God. And so, you know, as he was casting out uh, demons, these uh, seven sons of a man named Sceva, one of the priests, they thought, you know what, we could probably do good at this. So there was a demon-possessed guy, and so they went in and, and decided to cast out devils. Sometimes you got to be a little careful with uh, who you know and how you know uh, what you do. And so they went in to cast out these devils, and they said, by the Jesus whom Paul preaches, we cast you out. And the devils in the guy said, Jesus we know, and Paul we know, <laughs> but who are you? <laughs> 
Praise the Lord. Don't be messing around with the devil unless you know the Jesus whom Paul preaches. And they know who you are. Because if you know who you are, you can tell them who you are. But the moment demons go, and who are you? And you're like, um, you better know. Amen. And so it says those, those demons jumped on them, ripped their clothes off, chased them out naked. So you'd think, well, that would be a bad thing, you know. That'd be a bad reputation. But no, the gospel grew. The gospel increased. So Paul started going to the synagogue and teach, and things started to break out. And so then he just decided he went into a Bible school right there in Ephesus, and he began to teach for two years. And the gospel started to spread in Ephesus. I mean, just look at this. It just went within two years period of time from nobody that they didn't even hear that there was a Holy Spirit to the church growing in such a way that they said, you know, our, our books on Greek mythology and all these other things, we're bringing our books about all this other religion and we're going to burn them. So people think, well, these radical people burn books. Well, it started back there in Ephesus. <laughs> and so they started burning, the, uh, burning books and, and, and getting rid of all of their idols. And so a man named Demetrius, a silversmith there, uh, who made his money off of selling uh, crafted silver uh, uh, idols of Diana, the goddess Diana, Artemis, uh, they, from Greek mythology, they worshipped her, and they were losing their living. They were losing money because there was such revival in Ephesus that they started a huge uproar. They started a, a huge protest to where they had a gathering in the theater there. And so our team that we went to uh, Turkey, we just went to the seven churches there, and uh, we, we were in that theater. In fact, Melo sang uh, a worship song in that theater right there. And uh, people were standing around, she was singing, and then she got done, and they all clapped for her and all that stuff. And she thought she had a video, but she didn't. <laughs> so that was too bad, but I think somebody has a little bit of, of what was going on there. Anyway, that was a side journey. But that theater is huge, isn't it? So they had thousands of people there screaming, we want to worship the goddess Diana. We, we worship, we worship. And then they drug in a few of Paul's disciples in there to, to persecute them, even maybe bring them up on trial. And so Paul said, well, I'll go in and settle that right there. And the disciples said, don't you go in there. They'll kill you. And so, uh, you know, they just waited a period of time. Then one of the proconsuls came in and he said, what are you all doing? These people actually haven't stirred up anything. They haven't gone into your temples and destroyed anything. They haven't stolen anything. When the Roman Empire finds out you've done this uproar or even nothing, everybody will be in trouble. And then they disbanded that gathering together and the gospel group. So Ephesus, as we go through Ephesus, you can look at it. Sometimes we read the Bible. We hear read the Bible kind of from an American mentality. But they were in the midst, in the throes. This church had come up out of paganism, out of idol worship, out of the gods of mythology, uh, for, of the Greeks and all of those things, and got to be established as one of the primary churches in the New Testament, one of the pioneering churches, it grew to be a large church. Uh, uh, John the Apostle really was there in Ephesus, a part of that church, till he got exiled to the Isle of Patmos, where he had uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Timothy was the pastor 
of the church there at Ephesus. And so it was a thriving church, a growing church, but still a church that was under persecution. It was still under the Roman Empire. There was still much paganism around. So they weren't just, you know, uh, easy going with the flow. There were many trials and many things that were happening. And I just believe, you know, at this time, if we can dive into it a little bit, get into further study of what Paul was saying to the church there, we're going to look in a moment at what Jesus said to the church there at Ephesus as a primary uh, really church and influential church of the day, what they encountered, what they were dealing with, that in our time and in our place in uh, culture, in our nation, in our place in history, that we can learn things from the church at Ephesus. We can learn things from what the Holy Spirit had Paul write concerning that. Establish those in our heart that we truly might be a bold witness of Jesus Christ, even when the circumstances don't line up just right. To understand how they went out and really lived their life and preached the gospel. How did it grow? How did it threaten the gods, those who, who were selling? How did it threaten the worship of the mythological gods that were there even before the Roman Empire came there? How did it threaten even the Romans and, and the, the, the paganism that they had? It was growing in such a way that they were so threatened by Christianity and how it was coming up. Why? Because even in the midst of that, the church arising, they learned who they were and they were an incredible incredibly bold witness of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so let's just look over there. Revelation, the first or the second chapter. Revelation, the second chapter. We're just introducing this a little bit. I hope that's okay. Just to see this church in some perspective and, uh, you know, dive into it. Uh, many, many times we've gone through this, and sometimes I can't help myself in studying. You break out a bunch of words, but we're going to do our best to see how we can see what he's saying and apply it to our lives right now. It'll be good to know some things historically. It'll be good to know how, some breakdown, some word study. But what we want to do most of all is get an understanding and a revelation of what he's saying. And in that revelation, we begin to find out who we are, what our mission is today, and we begin to receive some transformation in our life. The more I study these epistles, the more I look at them over and over and over again. And I know I say this, but faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if we're not careful, we are too tempted to look into uh, uh, any mirror on any given day and see us as we've been and as we think we are today. But God wants us to see ourselves differently. God wants us to see ourselves as he sees us. And how does he see us? He continually tells us, I see you in the likeness and the image of him. In the likeness and the image of him. So he wants us to transcend from us being born into sin or born under the sin of Adam, which doesn't even look like what God created us to be. God didn't create us to be under the slavery of sin. He doesn't want us to look like sin has beaten us down, broken us, wore us out, wore us down, and go, my God, if I could just get to heaven. That's not how he created us. And so if that's the image we start to get, I'm so tired, I'm so broken, I'm so worn, I'm, uh, the devil's just worked us out, worn us down to bring us to be worthless, to feel like we're not worthy of anything. And if we could just get out of here, it would be better. But he wants to see us as we really are, in his image and his likeness. That's not one wore out. That is one 
that is renewed day by day in the inward man. That is one that is strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That is one that is strengthened in his inner man by the very spirit of the living God right? To begin to look and see, listen, I'm not the same old person that I used to be. Something's changing. And so we like in our day, we like to go to places where people are inspirational. We like to go where there's such information. And those are all good. They're all necessary. Information, inspiration. But more than anything, God wants transformation. So we can know, we can memorize, we can quote. But if it's not settling in to start to change our understanding of who we are, then really it's not accomplishing its purpose, right. right? And if we're so excited, we could run around the room, but we really can't run in, uh, as it were, run into a troop and jump over a wall. We can't run into where people are lost and dying, then it really doesn't make a difference. But all of a sudden we say, you know what? I couldn't run in there. I didn't have the proper equipment. I would have burned. I would have smelled like smoke. But now I know God's with me. I'll run right into that dark place. I'll run right into that fire, and I'll do what God's called me to do, right. knowing that he's with me wherever I go. Right, a transformation that takes place. Praise the Lord. So that's what we want to draw out of the word. Right, when we study, we don't want to just go, well, I know that. I could contend with the best of theologians. <laughs> if God's called you to sit in some uh, a theological seminary and debate the truth of the word, then praise the Lord. Do it. Do it with all your might, but you'll do it best if, you, if there's a transformation. Amen? And so it's good to know it. I'm not saying that. But we want to have a change. Because right now, we're, I believe in the next two years, God's doing stuff that he wants the church to look different, right? To look different. And more different, not so much in our coming in, but our going out, right? From the very beginning, they gathered together. They came in from the very beginning. When Jesus would go, he'd teach on the Sabbath day in the synagogue. So even on the Sabbath day, they weren't just laying around home and resting. They were coming into the synagogue, and he was teaching on the Sabbath day. He was healing on the Sabbath day. So there, there, there's been church. There's been the gathering together from the beginning. Why? Because we have to gather together. We have to have that unity. We have to have the word preached. We have to have uh, examples wrought. We have to have fellowship one. But then how do we go out? If we just come in and we go out and we're no different, we don't feel that support. We don't have that then, then really we're, we're not having the impact. But God says, I want you to come in and I want you to go out in a different manner. In a different manner. Amen. So, it, you know, it's always a little bit easier to come in. We think not sometimes, but it's easier to come in and, and see our ministry within. But then to see our ministry out there is sometimes a little bit more difficult. But even as we read the epistles and we read about uh, what they're writing to these people as they come together. They're talking to them about what a great thing to be in, but as you know who you are in Christ, you're going to go out every single day. You know, the thing that I ponder a lot in prayer, I ask God about a lot, don't have a, a definitive answer, sorry, probably shouldn't approach this without an answer. But I continually ask him, you know, and when you look at it, people have always been marrying and given in marriage. They've always been having children. They've always been going to work. They've been supplying things. There's a little bit different culture, but they're coming and going. They have their homes. They have their jobs. They have their busy lifestyles. So what did that look like? What did that look like for the ordinary person going out? What did it look like when they came together with the Apostle Paul and he taught them? What did it look like when they went out every single day? Because if we could find out how the church just continued to grow as those people went out, we'll learn a lot about how we can go out. Amen? So when we look into it, we want to just keep going. How does that affect our hearts? 
for everyday life? How does that change the way I look at my life every day? Because I look in the mirror and I see somebody different than I used to see. I see somebody being changed into the very likeness and the image of Jesus Christ. And if I don't see that, I don't make excuse for what I see. I don't make excuse for what I see. I begin to dive into the word and say, for whatever excuse I may have, Jesus' blood paid for it. Jesus already died to change whatever I see that's not like him. He's already paid the price to wash that away so that when I see him, right, when I see that, when I look into the mirror, if I've decided to make Jesus the Lord, if I've decided to allow the Holy Spirit to be the master of the direction of my life, then there's liberty in that. And as we behold as in a mirror the image, as we take the word of God and we behold who he is, what he did, what God did for us, what Jesus did in raising from the dead, as we start to behold that as in a mirror, then we're changed into the same image. From one degree of glory to the next. Right? If we're going to arise and shine because the glory of the Lord is risen upon us, then we have to understand where's that glory? What's that glory doing? That glory is making a change. And when we're changed from one degree of glory to the next as by the Spirit of God, then our life is changing. It's raising up to a different level, and it's reflecting the glory of God. Not necessarily by everything that we've worked out to do, but by obeying, seeing that image, and allowing the Spirit of God to change us. Not making excuse. Well, I'll never change. You don't understand where I came from. I just can't ever change. You can't. I just, no. When he's Lord, supernaturally, what could not change, what people said could not change, normally it couldn't change because it's ingrained. Some of it in the mind, some of it in the body, some of it genetically. You'd say it never changed. This is how it's rooted. But supernaturally, by the glory of God, it could change. We scratch our head and we just get glimpses of it because Paul even said this is a revelation that was hidden from the ages. In other words, something we long for. From the fall of Adam, humanity longed for, but they couldn't figure out. Even in all the types and the shadows of the tabernacle and all of the Old Testament, God uh, talking to and relating and even telling them straight up, this is a pattern of reality in heaven. It was so hard to grasp And couldn't be understood. But after Jesus died and raised from the dead, he came and he met Paul, knocked him off a horse, got him born again, then took him up into the third heavens, began to reveal to him things he said you can't even even talk about on earth. A revelation. And he said the mystery of the ages, the revelation of the ages, has been given to me to preach to you. That is, Christ in you, Your expectation, my expectation of living in the glory of God. Sometimes you look at that and say, no, that Christ in me, my hope of going to a place called glory. No, Christ in you, glory just came in you. It's not just getting you to a, a place called glory. It's bringing the very glory of the Father, the very life of the Father down on the inside of us so we can live. 
And so Paul, you say, why are you saying all that? Because as we get into to this, and you know this, I mean, most of you on Sunday night uh, know this, but again, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. He gets into that right in the beginning. He says, I'm going to pray for you that you'd have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your heart would be flooded with light, or the eyes of your understanding would be flooded with light, that you might know the hope or the confident, favorable expectation to your calling. So, so many Christians are looking for their calling, but when you find your calling and find out it takes time and effort, we don't have much of an expectation. Like, oh God, I don't know if I can do that. I'd like to do it, but I don't know if I can do that. And he said, I want to I show it to you so clearly that you're excited about it. That you wake up every day with an expectation. Man, God, you've called me some good things. You called me out of darkness. Out of darkness, out of the ignorance, out of not knowing you. Out of just being driven by the course of this world. Whatever the day has to offer, whatever the, the culture has to offer, I'm just swept up in it. He said, but you called me out of that. You grabbed me, you pulled me out of that. But you didn't just pull me out of it. For, for no reason, you pulled me out of it. You called me out of darkness, and you brought me into your glorious light. Now there's light. There's revelation. You called me into the kingdom of your dear son. Whew. We're no longer dictated by the destroyer, the one who comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but we're in the kingdom of God's dear son, the one who gave his life for us and raised from the dead that we might have a brand new life, not living the same old way that we used to live under sin, not looking back to the good old days when we were under sin, but looking forward to the new days. And as every day comes, something unfolds of the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's good news, isn't it? All right. Praise the Lord. So revelation, did you find revelation chapter two? I know it's at the back of the book, so I just wanted to give you plenty of time uh, to find, to find it. All right, so here we are. He says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write. So everybody believes something different here. But uh, really, one translator said this, that he was writing. Basically, you could write it like this, to the pastor of the church at Ephesus write. Wow. Praise the Lord. If you were the pastor at the churches of Ephesus, get ready, because Jesus is about to say some stuff. He said, these things says uh, he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven lampstands. Now, listen, this is something important. I know this is just, uh, we're going to get into, we might get into Ephesians tonight. We might not. But uh, <laughs> praise the Lord. Uh, this is something I don't think we realize as much. You know, we like to say, well, let's just have a service. Let's have a service and usher in Jesus. Well, Jesus is coming to church whether you like it or not. Jesus comes. Even when you don't, he comes. And won't that be something if he's taking attendance? <laughs> we show up. He's like, hey, I, was, uh, I came to church on such and such a date. I was looking for you. Where were you? Um, well, I had some stuff to do. <laughs> Praise the Lord. It says he walks amongst the churches. He's about to tell them, I came. I visited, not just once to hear how the music was. 
not just to see how things were going. He said, I came on a regular basis. Well, why would he do that? Because we're his body. We're his body. He likes to come and see how things are going with the body. Why? Because he wants us to reflect him. He wants us to influence uh, <clears throat> the, the sphere that he placed us in with him. Well, if we're going to influence with him, he wants to check up and see how that's going. So he said, write to them, I'm the one, I'm, I'm the one, I'm the one who started the church, and I'm the one who walks around in the midst of the churches. He said, I know your works and your patience that you cannot bear with those who are evil. Man, that is good news. If you're the church at Ephesus, you're like, rock on. We knew we were doing good, and we don't like evil. We, we can't even bear it. We're, we're living for God. He said, you've tested those who say they're apostles and are not and have found them to be liars. He said, don't just believe everybody that's talking to you. Don't believe everybody that says they're of God. Don't believe everybody that says they're an apostle. Put some things to the test. Find out. That's what he said. He commended him for that. He said, there's people going around. False apostles come in. They just buy into anybody and everybody that says they're of God. He said, you put them to the test and you found out they were lying to you. They're not really apostles. They're not really in it because I called them. They're in it because they found out it's a good way to get in and, and make a name for themselves or, or really, you know, make money. Praise the Lord. Verse 3, he said, and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. So in other words, they just kept going and kept going. He said, nevertheless, don't you like that? Jesus, when he comes in, he's, he, he'll never just go, you know, unless nothing's good, which we found a couple that nothing was good. But he says, listen, you guys are doing a great job. You're working hard. You're laboring for the kingdom. He said, you've picked out evil and you don't like evil. False teachers, you don't like false teachers. I commend you on that. Nevertheless, I have, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. You've left your first love. Well, what's he saying? Man, they got busy. They picked out those who were evil. They, they, they identified false apostles. They said that, and they said, we're just going to continue to serve God. But something happened as they continued to serve God. They just started doing it like it was a job. Right? They just started doing it because they were supposed to do it. They forgot to do it because they loved Jesus. See, they started out just loving Jesus. They just start out saying, whatever I can do for you, however I can serve you, just let me know what I can do for you, where, where I can serve. I don't have to, you know, be, be the top person. I don't have to be an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. I don't have to find that great gift. I can just do service to you because I love you. See, he lost that. It became a duty. We have to be careful today that our serving God doesn't just become a duty. You look around and say, man, it's great. Look at all the things that are going on. People are doing good. They love God. I mean, just great people coming in to speak. We just, stay, we just stay with the word, brother. We just stay with the word. But if we're serving out of duty, if we get so tired serving, right? Well, you know, I do all this other stuff. I, I mean, I do stuff. I do stuff at work. I do stuff at home. I'm a part of this club. I'm a part of this athletic team. I'm a part of all that. And man, my work at church is just like the straw that breaks the camel's back. But I guess if I have to serve God, man, somewhere we just have to wake up. Church isn't what broke the camel's back. The athletic team, 
the club, all the other things. But then we look at it and say, amongst all the other things I'm doing, this is kind of a duty. This is kind of wearing me out. But I do it. I do it anyway. Well, you know, there's a place where in, in Psalms 37 there, it says, he who delights in the Lord, he'll give him the desires of their heart. That word delight means you take pleasure in it. And you do it because you want to, not because you have to. Delighting is doing something because you want to, not because you have to. And so, you know, God wants to give us new desires, fresh desires, plant within us what he wants us to do. But many people are going, well, I'm just doing it. I'm doing it because I have to. Don't really know that I want to, but I have to. Boy, if I'm going to get to heaven, I've got to have some mark on my, my, my chart that I, I did something. No, he said, I have that against you. You got into the mode of just doing it, doing it like a robot, doing it out of duty, doing it because you always have done it. He said, and you've just lost that great desire. You've lost that passion for me. And so really, when we begin to read into Ephesians, we begin to look at it, how they, how they started. I mean, just think about how they started. They didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. And Paul said, hey, have you all heard about the Holy Spirit? Have you heard about what, what God's doing? Have you heard about the outpouring of the Spirit of God? They're, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. He said, let me tell you about it. And they're like, man, this sounds awesome. This sounds awesome. And he preached, and they got born again, and they started to get filled with the Spirit. And they got so in love with God that they started burning their books and getting rid of all their idols. And it was Jesus and Jesus alone. And the church just started growing. And then they get to a point, and he says, well, you're still doing what you were doing, but you lost that initial passion and excitement that you were just doing it because it was just so great to be in love with Jesus, to know his love for you and to love him back. That that was the motivation for everything that you did. Not to be seen, not to earn credit, not to be realized by somebody else, but just because you love me. Wow. That's a good thing. He said, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Now, listen, he's about to go into six other churches and talk about them about some things that if you were to say, if you were the church at Ephesus, you'd say, dear Lord, have mercy. And he told us to repent just because we didn't love him. Look at what those other people are doing. But see, Jesus is really not interested in you pointing out something else somebody else is doing. Not even us as a church saying we're doing pretty good in comparison. Or we're not measuring up in comparison. Each one had their locale. Each one had their, their call. Each one had their distinction. But he called and he said, these are the things that make you stand out. And these things that will steal your influence in a heartbeat. Praise the Lord. So he said, uh, uh, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent. In other words, turn back and do the first works. Come back and do what you were doing at the beginning. Get that passion back, that love for Jesus. Not because you have to, but because it's just something that he's doing, that you love him. Or else I will come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, right? He sandwiches it. He said, come on. He said, I'll remove your lampstand. What does that mean? He says, I'm going to remove your, your influence. Man. Now, you'd think that's hard, but the church is his body. The church is a reflection of him. 
So I said, if you're just duty-minded, you're driven by duty, you're not given a good reflection of who I am. So he said, come on, turn around and start figuring out where we started with this thing. We started it out of love and relationship and desire in, in this thing. And when people see how much you love me and what you're doing for them, for me, out of love, he said, it's a great influence, a great influence, a great light to people around. This love is such a distinguishing uh, factor that he told his disciples, they will know that you are my disciples because of your love one for another. John, who, who, who was in this church on, uh, and knew Jesus, he wrote much in his first epistle about love and the effect of the love of God on our heart and our reciprocal love to him, the dynamic effect of power and influence it has to really know the love of God, the love of God. And so when we begin to look at this, we, we start to see as we go through where, where Paul was praying for them. He prayed for them in something in chapter 1, but then in chapter 3, he prayed for them to be what? Strengthened, strengthened in their inner man by the Holy Spirit of God so that they could be rooted and grounded in Christ, that Christ would dwell in their hearts, they'd be rooted and grounded in the love of God. He said it's going to take the strength of the Holy Spirit to be rooted and grounded in love and to comprehend with all the saints, the multifaceted, not just I love you because you do something for me and so I could do something back for you because you, you did something for me. He said, no, it goes beyond human love. There's a depth, a breadth, a height, and a length to his love. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. So Paul is telling them, come on, you got to understand the love of Christ. Well, right before that, he said, he said, listen, that God was the whole establishment of the church at Ephesus, and really I believe the church as a whole, the whole establishment of that was to make known to principalities and powers the manifold wisdom of God. Right? Not the church to be gathering together and enter into the petty things and the disgust and the offense and all that and, and working because I have to. No. How is it going to make known to principalities and powers by knowing the love of Christ, him dwelling in us, and to know the depth, the breadth, the height, and the length of that love, to know that we're filled with the fullness of God. We're not striving to know God. We're filled with the fullness of God. And when we know that, we possess that, we understand it, we comprehend it, it says, now unto him who who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ever asked, hoped, dreamed, or thought, according to the power that's at work within you. The knowledge of the love of God filling you up gives you power and strength by the Holy Ghost. He said, listen, you can serve and get wore out because you don't love me. But when you love me, there's an enduring energy and there's an enduring power that goes fiber through your fiber of your being. Right? So people are like, well, I'm just tired of serving. Seems like all I do is serve at church. Well, you're just getting into that place where it appears the Ephesians did. Well, I'm just wore out. But he said, man, if you knew how much I loved you, man, would you do something. Right? So Jesus, he's talking about, we're about ready to close. We'll, we'll read the entrance to Ephesians 1, just so you know that we're doing that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I, I have all this down. I was just to get to those prayers of Paul today. I was supposed to get there. But anyway, so Jesus, you know, uh, the disciples see this woman and, and she's uh, spending all this money and she's just, 
I mean, she's just groveling over him, washing his, his, his feet with her hair. And people are like, wow, what is she doing? And Jesus said, don't you get to uh, uh, judging this woman. He said, she has a concept you do not have. He said, those who know that they've forgiven, been forgiven much, they love much. But those who think they've been forgiven a little, they love a little. He said, into your proportion of your knowledge of what Jesus did for you. So when you're just thinking, I wasn't that bad to begin with. He didn't have to do too much. But when you realize, my God. I was a mess. Sin had captured me. We all come on the same basis of the blood of Jesus. He said it's not wise to compare yourself. Why? One of those reasons. It won't be wise to compare yourself because then you'll think you're better than somebody and you won't think that you were forgiven as much as somebody else and your love, you will love less. And if that attitude prevails, you will be loveless. And it's hard to be influential for the kingdom of God if we love less. Amen. So he just said, you need to comprehend this love. Seems to be an earmark there. They were going for God. They were rolling and they just got into the move and got into rolling and doing their duty and forgot exactly why they were doing it. Because they love Jesus. Man, we just need to renew that in the church. We have so much at our disposal. We have so much technology. We have so much information. We have stuff to make it wonderful. We have to make worship great, to make the atmosphere great. But man, just think what it would, the, the difference, as good as it is, as wonderful as it is. Jesus even said, it's wonderful what you're doing. But I just got to tell you, it could have so much greater impact and have the impact that I desire for it to have. If you just remember where you started and how much you love me, remember how much I love you. Man, it would carry the essence of that love with all the other things you're doing. And the essence of that love penetrates to hearts and changes lives. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians. Chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Father, we just thank you for this book of Ephesians. We thank you for the epistles that were written. That as you breathed on these men, you inspired them to write the things that would be necessary not just from a historical standpoint, not just from an observation, but the reality of what you wanted us to see, that we might learn of you, we might grasp important things, that in that grasping, that understanding, as we read, as we go through it, that you'll bring revelation knowledge, and that revelation will increase our faith. That revelation will create a transformation. As we go through this, we grasp things that will cause us every day to be thinking and meditating on what you've done for us and the influence that you desire for us to have with others. Our relationship with you personally, our relationship with the body, the body's relationship to you, and the body's relationship to a lost and a dying world. 
that we would learn, that we would grow, that we would be that church that would be influential in our community, in our region, and throughout the world. Well-pleasing to you, our lampstand standing until Jesus comes back with great influence of the love of God. We thank you for it. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You thought I was just going to get started and keep going, didn't you? I had you all a little bit fearful. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right, why don't you stand up?